Have you ever felt people treat you or think of you differently because you're a Christian? Have you ever felt the pressures of staying true to your faith and still fitting in in an ever-growing secular world? Peter has some words for us concerning this topic and more as we move forward with Episode 2 of the Study of 1 Peter. This is BibleStudyPodcast.org. Well, hello everyone and welcome back to BibleStudyPodcast.org. It is May 6th, 2011. It's a Friday. Friday podcast is First Peter and I'm your host, John Krause. A couple things before we get started. I'd like first to thank all of you for downloading this message and joining me on this journey through the book of First Peter. It's going to be a great study. It's going to be a lot of fun. And if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to comment on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Uh, you can comment right there on the post, or you can send me an email at BibleStudyPodcastJohn at gmail.com. Or if you want, if you're used to emailing Toby, go ahead and send Toby an email, and I'm sure he could forward that along to me if there's any questions or concerns. Please join me in a quick word of prayer before we get started. Heavenly Father, you have made the heavens and the earth. You have revealed your beauty through creation. You've inspired the book that we are about to study right now. Lord, help us now as we read together. Help take us into a deeper understanding of you and what you expect of us, Lord. We love you and we lift up this time in prayer and fellowship to you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, now if you want to, you can open up your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Okay. Now, wrapping up a little bit what we did in the first podcast, the challenges of Peter being the apostle who wrote 1 Peter, we concluded that that was not true, that we determined that Peter is the author of 1 Peter. And we were convinced that 1 Peter was written sometime in the years 62 to 64 AD. And it was written from Rome, widely known as the Christian center of opposition and the center of power for the Roman Empire. And during the time that Peter wrote this letter to the Christians living in that area in Asia Minor, it was not uncommon for Christians to be targets of attacks and persecutions. The layout of the letter. Let's take a little bit of a look at the structure of this letter. First Peter is structured like a typical letter written by Paul, and thus a typical Greco-Roman letter. The opening lines name the author, the recipients, which are the elect, and give an initial greeting. First Peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 2 provide that opening salutation. A Greco-Roman letter then had a section of thanksgiving before proceeding into the body of the letter. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 12 fulfills the thanksgiving role with that with this great doxology of blessing that Peter's getting ready to give us. The opening word of the Greek text and most English translation is the author's name, the name Peter, which is the anglicized form of the Greek word Petros, which means 
which everyone I'm sure knows, rock, and the literal translation of the Aramaic word for rock is Cephas, which was the name Jesus gave Simon in Matthew 16, verse 18. The first word describing the recipients as aliens, strangers, foreigners, pilgrimers, soldiers, the statement doesn't necessarily refer to our spiritual status as aliens and this world and heaven being our, our real home. This phrase can also be taken as a literal description of the recipients as people whose social status are soldiers in their geographical location. This can have implications of, of a lower social status compared to the citizens in the area. It's very common to interpret this phrase as a metaphorical description of our citizens in heaven. The NIV added, in the world, both here and in uh, chapter 2, verse 11. However, in the world does not appear in the original Greek. The NIV alludes towards a more metaphorical meaning rather than the possible literal description about the recipients. I tend to lean more towards the literal version that they are foreigners within their own land. Note how this little addition that uh, the Bible, like NIV, will add to it changes what the meaning is and, and how you can interpret that little section of, of text there. Now, I prefer the NSAB. Um, it follows the original Greek literally to those who reside as aliens scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who are chosen. The analysis concerning strangers in the world is important to our understanding of the original recipient's suffering. The suffering or trials can be seen not only as the result of their faith, but as not only as the result of their faith, but also because of their social status. These were not rich people. They are compared to foreigners and immigrants in, in a new country. They don't have all the rights of a citizen, and sometimes they can be an object of discrimination. They cannot call this residential location their, their home. They don't feel at home, and they're not treated as residents of that place. And they're, they're, they're getting treated like this. They're getting treated like foreigners because they are Christians. The readers are also described as scattered throughout this whole area. The word scattered has also been translated as dispersion and dysphoria. It was a tactical term to describe Jews living outside Palestine. However, since First Peter was written to Gentile Christians rather than to the Jewish Christians, the word would refer to the fact that the Christian congregations address, or the people who he's writing this letter to, were spread out in several places that are listed here. Pontus was on the north part of present-day Turkey as it borders the, the southeast end of the Black Sea. Galatia was south and a bit east of Pontus, while Cappadocia was the mostly east and a bit south of Galatia. Asia was the west end of present-day Turkey, and Bithynia was the north of Asia and west of Pontus, located on the southwest and south-central shore of the Black Sea. Did you get all that? Uh, it's good. Flip to the back of your Bible, and you can look at a map, and it'll show you where all those are. It's much easier to look at it than have it explained to you. So, the addressees of 1 Peter were in churches scattered all over this area, encompassing almost the entire northwest two-thirds of present-day Turkey. We have no references in scripture or evidence from early church traditions that Peter ever traveled in the area contained in the providences listed in verse 1. It's quite possible that Peter did spend several years in ministry in this region, but we simply don't know for sure where he preached and when he preached between about 
80, 45, and 64. And then since there are no comments in the letter that reveal a personal relationship between the author and the readers, most scholars assume that First Peter is a circular letter and that Peter probably did not know most of the people who were going to be reading it. He was just generally writing a letter to Christians who he knew were going through a hard time at this point. Okay, what are the descriptions of the recipients of this letter? These Christians are God's elect, or chosen ones, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and for the obedience to Jesus Christ by sprinkling by His blood. Here we have three phrases that relate to a Christian's salvation, possibly an early church liturgical formula. It contains references to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and their function with the plan of salvation. The first two phrases point to God's work in the life of a Christian, while the last one is a response to the work of God in their life, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Did God choose individual Christians because he knew they would believe in him, or did God choose them and that's why they believe in him? Now, the answer to this, this is something people debate all the time. This phrase can easily lead us into the debate about once saved, always saved, but it should be noted that here Peter didn't necessarily indicate a direct answer to this theological debate. Now, I have an opinion, and there is a right and a wrong answer to this, but I don't believe he's necessarily saying that right here. So we can simply say that this phrase only informs the believers that their salvation or election is not an accidental event, but is part of God's salvation plan from the very beginning. It is God who initiates a person's salvation by choosing them first before they choose him through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Now let me say this about salvation and, and the elect and this, this subject before we move on because I don't want there to be any confusion on this. We are the elect based on God's foreknowledge of our acceptance of the gospel. Given that God's desire is to save all persons, that's 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, and that in accordance with his desire to save all, God has provided the means for saving all. That's 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. If God has the desire to save all and the means to save all, then why are only some elected? This comes down to individual choice or free will. God has let us have the choice to choose him, to love him. Love can't be forced. You know, you can't force someone to love you because it obviously will not be true love. If God was just to already decide that everyone's just going to love me and that's just the way it's going to be, then this would not be true love. God loves us enough to let us choose him, to let us love him. God does know what we would choose if given the choice to accept him. God wants to save all of us, but only the chosen or elect, as talked about here, because of their faith in him, will be chosen. Of course, remember, God must first draw us in in order for us to respond, but everyone has at least a momentary opportunity in life to choose him. Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, what does a sanctification mean? Sanctification refers to the continuous work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to transform us into the image of Christ. 
In context, it refers to the work of the Holy Spirit drawing people to turn to God. And that's for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling of his blood that's spoken about here. What is the purpose of our salvation? To become obedient to Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled by his blood. The thought of obedience is repeated in verses 14 and 22 that we will eventually get to. What does sprinkling of his blood mean? It may refer to the forgiveness and cleansing of sin, not only once but continuously. It goes together with obedience. Also, it refers to the believer's acceptance or entrance into the new covenant, the new covenant brought by the death of Jesus Christ. You know, you want to go check out Exodus 24, verses 3 through 8 here. The people accepted the covenant by promising to be obedient to the Lord's command. And see also Hebrews chapter 9, verses 18 through 21, chapter 10, verse 22, and chapter 12, verse 24. Okay, this is a a brief paraphrase of this citation here. Although aliens, lower class in their society, the believers are actually special because through the Holy Spirit's sanctification, they were chosen by the Father to be obedient to Jesus Christ as members of the new covenant established by His blood. Now, on to grace and peace be yours in abundance. This greeting is also typical among the New Testament epistles. It seems to have been a general practice of the early church to avoid sliding either Jewish or Gentile elements in the church, which generally were composed of both. Grace and peace by combining the Greek and Hebrew greetings with strong Christian overtones to give the, the, this marvelous grace and peace of the New Testament. Usually Paul uses this greeting with the statement, that both grace and peace are from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can check that out in Colossians 1 verse 2 and Philippians 1 verse 2. Now the application. Applying scripture to our lives is an important part of study because this is where the Bible will become relevant in our lives. As long as it is done in context. We are 2,000 years from the original recipients of this letter and are of different social uh, strata, but applying the meanings of this letter can help us maintain a Christian perspective on our lives. As aliens in their land, that is, Christians were encouraged to know that God had chosen them to be his people. For all of us, especially for those who have not accomplished much in their life or have experienced rejection, the fact that God has chosen us from the beginning in spite of who we are is an encouragement and will give us more reasons to live our lives in obedience to Him. We need to know what the Bible is telling us today in our lives. It is utterly useless to have all the desire to obey God, but remain ignorant with what God's Word is telling us much more. If we misinterpret the Bible, which is done quite a bit, and it's done by a lot of pastors, that can be a very, very dangerous thing. We see that a lot with Rob Bell right now. We see a lot of twisting of the scriptures, it can be an extremely dangerous thing, especially these large churches that are just, I don't know if it's ego or if these guys get to a point where they start to to worship themselves more than they do God, and so they start to, to, to dig deeper and, and try to fabricate meanings. I don't know what it is, but this is the reason that why we need to learn proper biblical interpretation so that we can discern these things and, and be able to have that that light bulb go off, the red flag show up when we, we, we hear incorrect things. 
Peter opens up this letter by reminding his readers of who they are. They are God's chosen people. Our identity is based on who we are before God now. Not who we were before we began our walk with Jesus. We have been we have a new purpose to be in complete obedience with Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven and cleansed by Jesus' blood from all sins. We as believers are empowered by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to live godly lives. Peter will show them the greatness of their salvation and how they should now live their lives. That's what he's telling them. Such a great message is relevant to us today for we are facing the same types of struggles as Christians. We've always faced it, but we're really facing it right now. We're really, and I can only give my perspective in America because that's where I live, but living in obedience with Jesus Christ often causes us to live opposite and in conflict with principles from those that are around us. The main theme in First Peter, that there is hope for us and the hardships we suffer as Christians. It isn't always as bad as you think it is and that God loves you. He's there for you. Just put your trust in Jesus Christ. You definitely, if anything, will, will start to grow as a Christian and you'll start to see things a lot differently than you do before. And if you are a Christian and that you've kind of strayed away and you're, you're listening to these podcasts because you're trying to, to search for answers, I hope that we can help give you some. I hope that we can help find uh, some of these themes that help people turn their lives around and, and, and understand the true Christian meaning not you really got to discern you really got to, to to search and research and read for yourself to figure a lot of this stuff out um, so I applaud that you're, you're doing this I applaud that you're downloading podcasts and you're, you're really trying to learn for yourself and I think that that's great well to wrap this up the recipients of this letter were not under any official government persecutions as a fledgling religion Christianity had no real power and for the most part, they were of low social status. These Christians were being treated as unwanted, disposable foreigners in their own land because of their faith. A similar opposition faces us today as, as modern Christians. We are basically under attack from so-called tolerant, secular humanists. That's most of society now. They believe that people should be able to do whatever they want, that there is no truth. You should be able to do whatever you want. They don't really truly believe that, but they like to say it because it sounds good in their mind. Um... But get this, Christians are not included in that. They, they think everyone should be able to believe whatever they want, except us. Now why is that? After 2,000 years, Jesus Christ can still anger people. He's still doing it. Jesus Christ lived not a very long life. He was born to poor parents. He grew up as a carpenter. He didn't start his ministry till he was 30. And his ministry only lasted three years. He, he, he walked around preaching for about three years. And he changed the world. In those three years, he, no one has changed the world like Jesus has. So that has to tell you something. And he's still doing it today, 2,000 years after his death. And I've seen things about Hollywood making spoofs, mocking Christianity, quoting the Bible out of context, and twisting God's word, and just showing their ignorance of their biblical knowledge, and displaying a hypocritical view that, that everything is permissible, and you can believe whatever you want except Christians. They want to remove God from everything, claiming Christianity is poisoning the people and Christianity has done all these awful things. I'm here to tell you, people poison people's minds, not God. Religion isn't the problem. People are the problem. People are evil. Everyone sins. We are all sinners. Those are people that have committed those atrocities. 
they have nothing to do with God. What I'm, what I don't want to happen, what I don't like seeing happen, is that Christians build these walls up because they know that they see secular society, they see that that people mock us and people because they don't understand. So you'll you'll build these walls and you'll go to church and you only hang out with Christians and you don't want to do that. You don't want to only confine yourself to hanging out with Christians. You want to get out there so that you can help spread the message so that you can help reach others. We cannot just withdraw from the world and shelter ourselves in our little Christian bubble so that we don't have to deal with all the evils of the world, but we must enter into it, doing everything we can possible to prepare society for the second coming of Christ, when God will rule over all. I really like the offensive strategy to win the world for Christ. Well, okay, that's all I have for Episode 2. I hope you join me next week as we jump into Episode 3, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4. through 4. Again, thank you all for downloading this message. I hope it has blessed you as much as it has blessed me doing it. Let me take us out with a quick word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you that we could spend this time together. We hope it was edifying to you, Lord. We ask that your word will resonate in us, Lord. And we ask that we will be your light on the world this week, Lord. We look forward to studying your word next week. And in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, all right. Well, everyone have a wonderful week, and until next time, keep growing in your faith. Yahweh, I adore you. Tell me how. To get more of you in your eyes A jealous fire Can I reach up any higher to you? El El Yang, the Most High Lord My hiding place, my great reward The first and last, the Holy One Face the prize for which I run and run Hear the winds, where do they go? We born of spirit are like those Hearts for you that burn and grow Into hearts, yeah, that explode Into love, sick Worshippers, you want love, sick worshippers, so alive and desperate. And this message has been brought to you by Bible Study Podcast. Jesus, we are a listener. Worshippers, if this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us. But if this is the you can be one of the original spiritual teaching, we do receive your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation for support and support. Again, we do rely on your support, and thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching the timeless truth in these God bless you. Thank you so much for listening. Jesus, love, sick, 
worshippers you want love say worshippers so alive and desperate at your feet Jesus love say worshippers we are love say worshippers in our hearts desire will be complete when we see you Get more of you in your eyes A jealous fire Can I reach up any higher? El Elyon, the Most High Lord My hiding place, my great reward The first and last, the Holy One You face the prize for which I run and run Hear the winds, where do they go? We born of spirit are like those Hearts for you that burn and grow Into hearts, yeah, that explode Into love, say Worshippers, you want love, say Worshippers, so alive And desperate at your feet Jesus, love, say Worshippers, you want love, say Worshippers in our hearts Desire will be complete When we see you 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 Tell me how to get more of you in your eyes Jealous fire, can I reach up any higher to you?